0: Take your Bible if you would and join me today in Romans chapter seven, Romans chapter number seven. While you're turning, let me tell you about a gift that I have. I have, um, I don't know that everyone would agree that this is a gift, but I personally count this as a gift. I think that I'm not fully utilizing this gift. I should probably be a part of the percussion section of the Rejoice Orchestra. Um, I probably would be better served my gift more more fully used if I was a part of a marching band and, uh, and I got to have some kind of thing to beat on while I was practicing my gift. I am a prolific tapper. How many of you share that wonderful God-given gift? Uh, and how many of you look at it as something other than a gift but a curse that your spouse was was... Cursed with, okay. I think it's a gift, but I I don't know that my wife looks at it as the same. And I tap, I am a a tapper and I can tap on anything. And I'm good at it, okay? At least in my own mind. And I love it when it rains and I'm driving because then I have this automatic metronome and I just keep time with it. I sing songs. Um, I have gone through the whole sound of music during really bad rainstorms. I'm good at tapping. There have been times when I have been seated on the platform, and I'm just tapping away. You know, my feet are going, and I'm tapping on my Bible, and I'm just looking, and I'm enjoying, and I'm just into the whole thing, and I see my wife, and she's like, "Mm, mm, mm." (laughs) mm-mm-mm. So then I kind of, you know, do the, the retool, and I, you know, I try to stop, but it just comes out. I know something's happened inside, and it has to find a release. I can tap with my teeth. Actually, it's another special gift. Not everyone has that one, but I can be, I can have something in my head and I will just like I'm driving and she'll say, she'll just look over and I know, you know, I know she can hear me tapping with my teeth. What a gift. Okay. (laughs) I'm better at this now, but I don't know that I have complete victory. There were many times, I used to do this all the time, and honestly, I don't do it all the time, but there were times when I would be just tapping away, you know, I'm, I'm tapping, and I would get that, that, that look from my wife where she would just subtly reach over and touch my elbow. And, and I would stop, but then do you know what I would do? Just a few more taps. So I would be and then the little touch. I just wanted, because she was saying, please stop. I wanted a little more. And do you know why that is? Because I am a sinner, okay? There is something in me that doesn't want to be told anything. It is some sense of revulsion toward the law. The title of our message today is Who Needs the Law? And the answer is You Do. You and I were built with this necessity of having some kind of a known, codified, quantifiable law that says no. Our Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 7. Let's begin reading in verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin... And here's one of those expressions that the Apostle Paul uses to give added emphasis to something that he wants us to not miss. Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That is, this forbidden lust, this inordinate desire for that which is off limits. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. The Apostle Paul was anticipating some that may have been ready to say, what good is the law if we don't need it anymore? After all, we have discovered that, that the law was our spouse, so to speak. We were married to the law, but we died. Now that unreasonable spouse is no longer ours and we are married to another, to Jesus Christ. Some might have even concluded that the law is sinful. Yet in contrast to this, the law simply highlighted the fact that our sinful nature is aroused by the law. And the law further illustrates that absolutely no one can be saved by keeping the law. Now, most of the time, we feel as if we can easily identify the hardened sinner. Like, oh yeah, you can, you can see it, you can read that look a mile away. We can see the worst of mankind, the rebel whose face is a clear demonstration of their heart and whose wicked deeds are made manifest through the breaking of the law. However, we often struggle to see ourselves in the same desperate condition. Paul was revealing throughout this chapter the exceeding sinfulness not only of sin but of his sin the challenge of the life that is so marked by our failure to keep the law and if Paul is judging himself by way of the law it may be healthy for you and it may be healthy for me to do the same Adam and Eve actually became the first examples of mankind's failure to achieve perfection through obedience to the law. They became this this immediate illustration that there was just one thing. In Genesis 2 verse 16, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. One command, that's it. And it's not like there, there were so many things that they couldn't do. God said, hey, listen, freely enjoy. I've given you this, this garden in Eden and, and you do what you wanna do. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree we understand that from the very beginning of mankind there is a challenge regarding us and the law and Paul begins to unfold for us the function of the law its place even today in our lives so today what does God's law do Okay, well, I mean, okay, so we still have the law. Is the law sin? Paul said, God forbid. So what does it do? Why do we have it? What function does it continue to serve? The law basically is gonna help us understand that that at least three things it continues to provide for people like you and people like me today. Again, verse number seven in Romans chapter seven, we're gonna see that God's law defines God's law defines. What does it do? Well, the first thing we see, God's law defines. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. It's helping to this is sin. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, For without the law, sin was dead." Okay, how many of you have ever told a child not to touch something very specific? There's a little vase on a coffee table. There's some little trinket, some little ornament, and you say, don't touch that. Now, there's all kinds of things that they can touch, but you said, don't touch that. Now, what is it that they become fixated upon? when they are told, don't touch that. They don't turn from that and say, okay, well, can I play with all of these? They don't even ask the question. They want that because at this moment, some law has been established. What your command did was to define what is and what is not acceptable. You and I both recognize, we understand that no matter how swift and straight the arrow Without a target, there can be no bullseye. So how would we ever know that Jesus is righteous if we didn't know that we were unrighteous? How would we ever know that he came keeping the law if we didn't know that we have actually broken the law? Do you know, one of the things that that God's law does is it begins to define sin. We were talking, Julie and I just talked with someone, spoke with someone recently, whose son was serving in the military over in Germany, and he said one of the things that he had a lot of fun doing was driving on the Autobahn, because there's no speed limit on the Autobahn. There's no law that says you can't drive over this speed limit. Listen, once the speed limit is established, a law has come into our view and we know, am I meeting, am I going beyond, am I in violation of the same? God has gracious, graciously revealed himself through his law. Even Moses, we, we call Moses what? We call Moses the lawgiver. But even Moses understood there's gonna to have to be a way that I can understand what's right and what's wrong. What is the law? What is not the law? How do I start to figure out the difference between moral and immoral, right and wrong, just and unjust? And Moses says something that, that we almost see as in passing. It's almost like he mentions it as an aside, but it is anything but that. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, notice what he said. Now, therefore, this is Moses' prayer to God. I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Did you catch that phrase? Here's Moses' prayer. God, I want to get to know you. If I know you, I'm going to start understanding some things. So how am I actually going to get to know God? Here's here's what he says, this is my plan, God, if you'll show me your ways, if you'll show me how you operate, if you show me what you do and what you don't do, what you approve of, what you don't approve of, if you show me your ways, I am going to get to know you. Do you know how God begins to reveal to his people who he is? Through the revelation of his law. And Moses got it. Moses says, God, if I know you, I'm going to know you by knowing your ways. Moses knew if he could get to know God's ways, he would get to know God. Today, we're rapidly attempting to redefine sin. We wanna provide some different definition, but God's defined it for us already and it's birthed in his nature and in his character. What God calls adultery, we try to redefine as an affair. What God defines as a lie, we call a lively imagination. What God calls drunkenness, we call a disease. What God calls an abomination, we've called being open-minded. And the list goes on and on and on. In fact, the, the religious leader of millions today, Pope Francis, said this. This was a well-known quote regarding his comments speaking of openly homosexual priests. Pope Francis said, "If they accept the Lord and have good will, who am I to judge them? They shouldn't be marginalized." The answer is you may not be in a position to judge them, but God is and has through his law. He's put us in a position to judge actions. And when we remove the Bible, the revelation of God's law and the defining aspect of the same, we are left to plunge over the moral abyss into which our culture is rapidly falling. The Bible says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to, listen, discern both good and evil. Do you know what the Bible says? He says, hey, listen, come on now, get yourself into the word. You start to use the truth, the maturity that you can glean from the same. And here's what you're supposed to do with that. You're supposed to be able to discern. That means to separate between good and evil between truth and a lie between right and wrong who am I to judge a person who sincerely is listen I might not be the person to judge but there is a God who does judge and he expects us to know the difference between right and wrong to discern to judge between the same we can try to redefine sin but it doesn't change the reality of the same to remove the label of poison from a bottle and to mark it as an energy drink. With an attractive label does nothing to change the true nature of the contents. It only invites the unsuspecting to partake in that which is clearly harmful. One of the primary purposes of the law is to define sin and to expose it for what it actually is. So Paul uses the commandment of thou shalt not covet to prove his point. We could spend a lot of time on this, but but suffice it to say, Paul uses this idea of coveting because it's the command that reveals the inward battle of the flesh, to lust after that which is forbidden, even at the earliest ages and stages of our lives. So what is it that that the, uh, the law of God does? Well, the first thing that God's law does is it defines, but God's law does more than that. As we read the second part of verse number seven, we see that God's law also diagnoses. It not just defines, it's now given us a diagnosis. It said, hey, here is what's happening in your life. Again, the the last part of verse number seven, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Ooh, the the law just made a diagnosis about me. There's something going on in my life and I'm guilty of the same. Paul says here, there was a time when he felt fine, but the law came and diagnosed his sin and his self-righteousness, his covetousness came into full view let me ask it this way. Have you ever been hesitant to go see the doctor for fear of what he might find out? We don't want to go. I don't want that test because I don't want to know what it might say. Do you know, in some sense, there are times when we don't want to be exposed to God's law because we don't want to hear what it may say. I don't want to know what the condition is. You know, not long ago, most people didn't learn about their cancer until it was too late. The first symptoms usually led to bad news from the doctor. Now today, early screening and technology such as an MRI, they diagnose a problem so that it can be resolved. The MRI never cured anyone, but it does help to diagnose the problem. And the law does have the power to reveal, to actually diagnose us as sinners. But it lacks any power or ability to remove the sin to treat, so to speak, the sickness. When I was a college student, there was something that that I had a lot of conversation about and I suspect a lot of college students do. I went to a conservative, traditional Christian college. It's a place called Pensacola Christian College where I went to college back in 1857, okay? So so I went uh, several years ago, I went to PCC. And you know, we, we had this conversation as college students, we had it all the time. I suspect, Dr. Zacharias, I've never talked to you about this specifically, but I suspect you had this conversation because you, you went to Pensacola Christian College. And do you know what I had a lot of conversation about? Rules. Rule. Did you ever have any conversation about rules? No? <laughs> We're gonna change the direction of the message to lying right now. <laughs> One of the laws of God, okay. And you know when you violated it as well. So I had lots of conversation about the rules. Okay, now now here's one. When, when When I was growing up, we always, I mean, when I say always, I mean always. We always went to church, always. So I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, special events. I mean, we're going to church. Now, you never asked, are we going to church? I never asked. I mean, I would have gotten that look like, what planet did you just come from? Mom, Mom, are we going to church tonight? Where did that come from? Okay, we're going to church. I mean, I went to church all the time. If my parents were tired of me, go to church. I mean, it could have been Thursday. It doesn't matter. I'm going to church. Okay. <laughs> we always went to church. But you know what I didn't like when I came to college? I didn't like being told I had to go to church. I didn't like it. Do you know what it aroused in me? It aroused a reaction to the law. I find it doesn't really matter what the rule or the law is, it doesn't matter. I don't like by my nature being told what to do. One of the things that it does is it diagnoses, it says, Jeff, you have a sin problem because of my reaction to law. So why am I bothered? Simply because I have a sin nature that responds to the law. So we see that God's law defines, God's law diagnoses, but we also see that God's law destroys. Now, now take this in context. Help us to, or at least uh, um, understand what is the Bible saying that it destroys? look in your Bible down at verse number nine. For I was alive without the law once, but when the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. God's law destroys. What does it destroy? My righteousness. Certainly anyone who keeps the commandments will live. The Pharisees had done something with the law that was a diminishing of God's moral law. The Pharisees had so constructed the laws so that I can keep the externals. I can go through the motions. I can observe the rituals. I can follow the ceremonies. I can keep the law. What they omitted were the weightier matters of the law. They said, hey, 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 just do this and follow this and observe this and you're gonna be okay. And so the, the, the Pharisees and hence Israel started to think, I must be okay because I follow all of their laws. Certainly anyone who keeps the commandments will live. Do you remember the, the guy who was the rich young ruler as presented in scripture? Jesus told him, keep the commandments, and listen to how he responds. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in 21, and he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. You start to get the idea that, that when scripture uses, thou shalt not covet and Paul pulls this one up, it's almost as if all of the commandments hinge on this internal aspect of wanting my way, of wanting me to have what pleases me as, as opposed to, yeah, 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 I can, I can keep all these other ritualistic things, but whoa, 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 you just said, sell all that I have. That that pleases me and this rich young ruler who said, I've kept all the law, and I think he said it in sincerity. I think he's saying, listen, I've done all that from my youth up. Bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah. Today, we look at a bar mitzvah for a a Jewish boy at the age of 13 as almost a rite of passage, a celebration that he's going from his youth to manhood, and this is going to be wonderful, but bar mitzvah literally means son of the commandment. Son of the law. And do you know what the rich young ruler is saying? He is saying, I, 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 listen, from the time of my, my passage into adulthood, my bar mitzvah, I, I've been a son of the law, a son of the commandments, and I've kept them all. And Jesus shot straight to the heart and he goes away very sad knowing He just destroyed my righteousness. My righteousness with that one little command. Okay, go sell what you have and come follow me. Destroyed. I I thought I was good enough. I'm keeping all the externals. And, And Jesus gets to the matter of the heart. So we see that God's law defines and God's law diagnoses and God's law destroys. Now, in light of God's law, what does it reveal about sin? What does God's law reveal? What does it start to show me? I I, I see, okay, I, I know what it does. What does it start to reveal? The first thing that it reveals is the deceptiveness of sin. The deceptiveness of sin. Verse number 11 in our passage today, look again, Romans 7, verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. The expression found in verse 11 is found earlier in verse number eight, taking occasion. It means it found its opportunity and it pounced. It it looks for this little opening and, and there it is. And it came boldly through. Sin always has the intention of deceiving, always. So how does sin deceive? One pastor I read mentioned several of the deceptive aspects of sin. Allow me to mention three. First of all, how does sin deceive? Sin deceives regarding satisfaction. There's not a person in here that I believe has not understood sin is deceptive regarding satisfaction. Proverbs 27, verse number 20 says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hmm, well, what's never full? Well, hell, never full, destruction, it never says that's enough, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Sin always says, I'll satisfy that desire, but it never does. In fact, sin does the opposite. Sin, as opposed to providing some like, okay, there's satisfaction. There may be some initial thrill, maybe even some lie of that's exactly what I wanted, but it did something else. Normally what sin does is it sparks a flame that says, okay, you got that. Now you want something more. Okay, you've tasted that. Now you want to take that to another level. Okay, you've experienced this, but you're going to find that that experience wasn't sufficient. And now you have to actually add more to find even some similar hint of satisfaction. It's like Amnon who lusted after Tamar. When he finally got what he thought he wanted, he couldn't stand to have her in his sight. Like Achan who lusted after some Babylonian garment, some foreign coins of silver, a wedge of gold. He buried them under his tent. Can he ever wear that garment publicly? This this Babylonian garment, can he ever even wear it? He has to bury it. But he sees it, he covets, he lusts after it. I want that. I was told no, but I want it and I'm going to take it. How do you feel after indulging in sin? Some stolen pleasure, not the act of sin, but the conclusion of it. Driving home after the deed was done, after you stepped away from the computer or left the conversation where you lied or submitted the test that you cheated on. How did sin leave you? Satisfied? I think not. Sin never delivers on what it promises but will always leave you wanting more. What does God's law reveal? It reveals that sin is deceptive. It's telling us it's not going to provide what you think it will provide. What does God's law reveal? What does does it start to openly declare? Well, sin deceives regarding satisfaction and it deceives regarding safety. Genesis 3 verse number 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, "Ye shall not surely die? Come on, seriously Eve? I mean, you, you're not going to die. It's, it's just some fruit on a tree. I mean, you're going to be fine and you know you want it. It's, it's pleasant to look at. It's desirable. It's going to make you wise. I mean, come on, Eve. Why would you keep yourself back from this? And have you ever thought about all the things that race through our own mind in justification of sin? What goes through yours? Well, I I can do this because the authority is bad. That gives me justification to be bad. I don't have to obey the government because the government, I'm not gonna pay my taxes because of what they're, I'm not going to obey or come underneath this because I'm not gonna obey my supervisor or my boss because, I mean, how many times do we try to place ourselves in this secure, safe spot? It's okay, and I probably deserve this anyways. I wouldn't do this, but, but it's okay for me what is it that, that the law is trying to help us understand? Well, listen, th- th- there is no satisfaction in sin. There's no safety in sin. Have you ever been driving and the speed limit's 65, and then you're coming up on a curve, and it says, uh, there's a yellow sign, and it says 45. Okay, how many of you, how many of you think intuitively that doesn't really apply to me? Okay, now I know people that it does, but it doesn't really apply to me. There's a, a place where I drive home and it's where, where I-110 merges onto I-10. And there's a curve that you, you go on and there's flashing signs. In fact, there's, there's, there's these digital flashing signs that say too fast, too fast. I've never seen it personally, but I've, yeah, you know, <laughs> other vehicles. And so too fast, too fast. And you know, the curve is not consistent. It doesn't stay the same arc the whole way. It actually tightens at a certain spot. You start out with this turn, and then all of a sudden you have to turn more. I'm not kidding. I've probably seen 10 times. There is a specific, there's light poles that go all the way around. Whenever it rains, I mean, you could almost count on it. You're going to see the same light pole knocked over every time. I mean, that, like, I've probably seen 10 times that light pole knocked over because people said, that doesn't apply to me. And they'd start in that curve and then it would tighten and their, their wheels, their tires would lose their grip and they'd slide off same poor light pole every time. If light poles could think it sees the rain, it's like, I'm down, I'm down. <laughs> Probably it just said, I'm going down before I get hit because it was get hit every time. You know, it's, it's somewhat of a, I don't know, a common or a silly or an understood illustration, but But how often do we tell ourselves that that will never happen to me? It's never going to happen in my marriage. It's never going to happen at work. That's never going to happen with me and my relationships, my friendships. It's never going to cost me what, what it costs someone else. Sin lies. It's deceptive regarding our safety. We won't take time, but if you're taking notes, you should jot down Proverbs 7, 18 through 27. It's about the seductress who deceives through her much fair speech. She causes him to yield. But what he doesn't know is, is her bed is literally the bedchamber of hell. And her, her footsteps, they, they take hold of the same. And he, like a... An an ox led to the slaughter just goes right on, head over heels. And, And there's a lot of good reasons like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 the good man is away. We're fine. We're safe. He's taken a bag of money. He's not coming back for a long time. This is okay. I've even spiritualized it. I've offered my sacrifices to God. Certainly God would bless this kind of love. But he knoweth not that the dead are there. Sin deceives regarding our safety, regarding our satisfaction. Sin deceives regarding secrecy. Mark 4.22, for there is nothing hid that shall not be made manifest. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. This does not mean that everyone will always know what you did, but it does mean that no one has ever truly sinned in secret. Hebrews 4:13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do." You start to think about our sin. Our sin is clearly deceptive. Our sin is despicable. And do you, do you know what it's helping us, the law helping us to understand? That we may mask some attitude, but it is not hidden to God. And God says, it is exceeding sinful. He doesn't take time to compare it. Your, your attitude is not as bad as the next person's. Your, your issue, it's, it's an issue, and you know it's an issue, but it's not that big of an issue. And you know what the law does? The law says, hey, you, you better understand the exceeding sinfulness, but not of someone else's sin." but of our own. The law was not given to show you how good you have to be. It was given to show you how good you can never be. The law does serve a purpose and that is to show our sin is exceeding sinful. It's intended to magnify our sin but never intended to make us a son. Only Jesus satisfied the law and offers through him sonship. If you remain a child of the law, your own bar mitzvah, you will die under the law. You are a child of the law. It means that you are responsible to obey the law, fully obey the law. Jesus offers us something so far beyond being a child of the law, it's called grace. And the apostle Paul Writing in Romans chapter seven is writing, I believe to many who understand I have been transferred from the kingdom of death, Satan, sin, to the kingdom of grace. And I can't just dispose of the law. It continues to serve a purpose in my life today. And it continues to show me I can't. Jesus, only you can. It continues to show me sin is exceeding sinful and it's gonna to lie to me every time. Yes, I am now underneath the kingdom of grace. I am a son. So, so is the law sin because it, it's telling people that they're sinners, God forbid. How would we know the difference between right and wrong had God not revealed himself to us through his law? Isn't a verse like John 1, 12 wonderful? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. If you've never become a child of God, what an incredible invitation. And if you are a son of God, may we understand the purpose of the law. And may we daily submit to the one who has kept the law and live like his son.